In the following live session recording, Jimmy Bacham, Executive Director of the Atlanta Metro Baptist Association, will talk about who me start a church. We want to see churches started all over Georgia, and you can be a part of this endeavor, and this session will tell you how. Uh, here, here's a question. If you had someone come to you and they said, I feel like I need to plant a church, or I want to plant a church, I want to plant a church in your uh, association. I want to plant a church, it doesn't matter if it's Bangladesh or if it's Central Georgia or if it's Atlanta. There's some commonalities, you know, they're obviously, or I want to plant a church out in, out in you know, Douglas area. So uh, what would you look for in that person? Just Let's just brainstorm a little list here. Initiative. Initiative? All right. Got to be having gospel conversations. Gospel conversations. Mm -hmm. All right. Just keep keep them rolling. Because remember, we're thinking character and competency. Gonna have to be a little bit of an extrovert. All right. So they extrovert relate to others well. Yeah, yeah relational. Okay, relational. Yeah, 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 yeah probably. Okay. I think character definitely. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I, you hate to assume things, but you know, just got you know, right. the character ties to me. Yeah, yeah. So, godly character. Anything else? Good reputation in the Christian community, and that may be previous church experience, whatever, uh, membership, whatever. And, and so good reputation in specifically, you're saying, in the yeah, Christian, Christian community, community too. Right. So being... Not uh, a Lone Ranger. Yeah. Um, okay, that's I, good. Not, Lone Ranger's not a wild card. Yeah, well, I, I will say this, that uh, Lone, Lone Rangers typically aren't really effective. But even the Lone Ranger years ago in those TV shows was not alone. He had Tonto was right. Yeah, he had Tonto. So uh, I don't even think we can truly be a Lone Ranger and, and be healthy at all. All right, any other? Any others? Let's just keep rolling. About two more, two or three more. Be practical, think practical too. Or I would say some sense of organization. Okay. Um, so, some sense of it. See, my question is... I've seen guys who aren't. Yeah. Some good, great leaders are, are not well organized. Well, they don't... They don't... They have their own sense of organization. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. is good for them, right. for them to function. Mm -hmm. But if, if anybody else were to come and look at it, they wouldn't know what to mm -hmm. do with it. Right. One more. At least one more. You can, you can squeeze it. He's, he's sitting in front of you right now, and he says, I want to plant a church. What do you want to see in it? Well, I, I, we have initiative, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say he's got to have vision. Okay, vision. That's a very broad term. But, but it communicates. Yeah. All right. Well, we could, you know, I could see we're running out of a little steam on that one right now. So let me give you, I've got a few sheets here that I want to give you. And uh, you can feel free to fill these out uh, as we go through. And we won't finish 
everything to the fullest extent here, but we'll finish these too. But here, here, here's the thing. Several years ago, someone was asked to develop, some guys determined to develop, and there's some pins up here if you, if you need one. Someone uh, was asked to develop a training and assessment process for church planters. And in doing that, uh, they said, well, hi, let's, let's do, Mac Lake was a part of that team. I don't know if anybody is familiar who Mac Lake was, and he was, he was the one to be the key point person to develop this. And it later became what we use presently now in our SEND environments uh, in North America as our assessment and eventually our, the training mechanism that we utilize. Um, he, he is a tremendous thinker. He's one of those evaluators. He, he you know, is a developer in, in a lot of ways in that. So what he did is he started out doing some research. And they went to planters that had had a little long-term longevity they went to planters that had done a good job. They went to planters that were that were strengthening churches and seeing multiplication and things like that. So those that sometimes in, in terms that we might describe as successful. Uh, you know, success is a biblical term. Joshua, you know, God promised how Joshua would have success. And so they asked the question, we understand the favor of God and the power of God. Aside from the favor and power of God, what is it in you that has caused you to be one who's been able to capably plant a church? What is it inside you that has made this successful in, in the Christian uh, fashion of this thinking? And so what they did is they continued to compile all of these things and they brought all these questions and all home and tried to evaluate that and would ask others outside of those planters but they took those, those qualities or those things that were stated and they distilled from all those conversations these 12, these 12 competencies. You know, there, there are two things that, that I think every leader has to have, and I, especially Christian leader, is we have to be increasing in our character, the strength of our character, and that's, that's, that's important, but also increasing in our level of competency. And we're afraid of this idea of competency, it seems, in the American church. We seem to be afraid of that. We, you know, organization. I noticed you almost being apologetic when you were talking about organization. I've just seen guys that are so unorganized, but they're awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we think, well, organization, uh, yeah, you need that. But we almost feel unspiritual mentioning that. Because sometimes the very things that we think are unspiritual are very spiritual. I mean, wasn't Joshua organized? There were things he had to organize. Wasn't Moses organized? There were things he... Matter of fact, his father-in-law, who was not in the same faith as Moses, recommended for his own health and his family's health, Moses, recommended an organizational strategy. And Moses wisely did that. Now, the question we could ask ourselves is then, did, was that of God or was that not, based on the source? And so... Anyway, let's just jump through these. I, I had a, um, uh, I, I started to put up a projection, but I, I, I just wanted us to be able to at least do this almost more in a conversational role tonight. Uh, but here, here's kind of the first of that list there. 12 competencies of church planters. This is not a competency, this is the, the introductory statement. A church planter must constantly be growing in both his character and in his leadership competencies. 
we seem to become afraid of leadership. I am not saying that we should not be theologically founded. We should be strongly theologically founded. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be any of those things, but these are leadership competencies we leave out. Here, here are those 12 leadership competencies. First, identify and confirm a passionate sense of calling. Calling is an interesting term. Uh, some have debated, and I'm, I can't, don't, we don't have time to chase this, but calling is one of those interesting terms that some have debated, you know, do you really hear, quote, an audible voice from God? I can tell you from my calling, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was a clear voice. Yeah, mm-hmm. Can I explain it fully? Mm-hmm. Not really. I mean, it, if you can explain it with so much detail that you can give every reason, maybe it wasn't a calling, you know. Uh, but but we ought to be able to, explain, be able to explain it some and be able to describe what was going on and how... You know, I wanted to go into the medical field, and I I did not come from a Christian background at all. And so I'd only been a Christian about a year to a year and a half, and I said it was that there was a friend of mine that was going into ministry. I said, you're nuts. You're nuts. And then I just, one night, one night I'm sitting there reading the Bible, and I'm praying, and it's like this overwhelming sense, you know, that you you need to go into my ministry. You need to go into preaching. That's what I would hear is, I need to preach. And I'm thinking, man, okay. <laughs> it was a, it was almost an immediate, okay. My heart had totally shifted. And so we need to be able to describe a sense of calling that is that is clear and, and it can be confirmed. And when we say confirm, we're talking about who are some of the people who've spoken in your life who said, I see that in you. Mm-hmm. And so even in our assessment process, we'll be doing one for the first time in history, three teams. Three teams of six assessors running simultaneously in downtown Atlanta. And <laughs> this thing's going to be almost an organizational nightmare, but we've, we've, got it. we've been working on that. But three teams, the first time in history in our North American kind of context of doing those three teams of assessment all at the same time with all these things going on. Uh, Fifteen candidates and their wives, so that's 30. You bring all their candidate representatives, you bring in 18 assessors, you bring in all the other volunteers, and you've got a three-waved event going on at, at the same time. And one of the things we're going to listen for out of all of those candidates is can you list people who have spoken and said, we see this in you? And then will these assessors be able to see that sense of calling based on the way that they describe what they feel like God's called them to do? That's Without that, we should stop. Okay. The second... Master the discipline of leading yourself. <laughs> That's character. The higher we rise in an organization and leadership, I think the more influence we gain, the less freedom we have. We tend to think with leadership and influence comes greater freedom. Actually, the less freedom we have, the less options we have, the more requirements we have, that we need to display godly character even more so because there'll be more opportunities to misplace character. And so we need to start early and really challenge them to lead yourself. So we have a whole, you know, the whole focus should be on how are you handling your time with God? How are you handling your schedule? How are you handling even the practical things? I know we talked about this last week again. Uh, one of the things Ben describes, and you probably have to remind me because my mind is running not at nothing right now. Yeah. 
but basically ask the question if you're trying to prioritize. What are those yeah, three? The three questions I learned to ask myself is they are, um, well, um, what is it that only I can do as a pastor, as a husband? And, you know, um, what is it that I need to delegate in terms of training people, uh, equipping them? And then what do I simply need to eliminate? Mm -hmm. Not even more about doing it, just delete. Right. The delete, and just delete from my life. It, it, it has helped me this year to really focus. Right. On just doing what I need to do. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the neat thing about that is, you know, you may have heard of this, an old principle called the Pareto principle. It's, it's an old one that's been around for a while. But basically, 20% of what we do accomplishes 80% of the outcome. So 80% of what we do accomplishes only about 20% of the outcome. And if, if you follow this, when we find what that 20% is and lead ourselves to focus in on that 20%, maybe delegate much of that 80% and eliminate what is outside of that realm that's not going to move the ball down the field, so to speak, missionally, then we can see a much greater outcome as to what we're doing if we're able to focus ourselves and ask, what is it that I must do no one else can do? Vision. Clarify calling. Lead myself so that I'm modeling what good leadership is. We want planters who are healthy, even in leadership, who are modeling good leadership. And that's what you're talking about. You know, I can mark this off. A good reputation among Christians, if we're modeling good leadership habits as far as leading ourselves, then then I think that's one of the elements that we need to be looking for. So the third, and I can get bogged down in any of these, so I'm going to speed it up just a little. Understand the makeup of your community to develop a missional engagement strategy. Here's the thing. We're not looking for people who are looking for a career. Georgia will not be reached by people who are looking for a career. There are a lot of people looking for a career. Georgia will be reached by people who have a passionate sense of calling, who are capable of leading themselves and holding themselves accountable scripturally with accountability of others, yes, but holding themselves accountable in leadership, being people of good character and growing in character, but also people who can focus on engaging the community that they're being called to. How I remember I had a staff member one time in the church that he was doing student ministry, and he just stayed in his office and studied all the time. <laughs> Study. Um, so I sat down with him uh, one week and I said, and I remember this like it was yesterday. I said, and I'm not going to mention his name. He, he developed, he grew. But I asked him, I said, so what do you do on Monday? Well, I'm getting ready for Wednesday night. What do you do on Tuesday? I'm working on my message for Wednesday night. What are you doing Wednesday morning? Well, I'm kind of refreshing myself. He's focusing on Wednesday night. Okay, then what do you do Thursday morning? Because he finished Wednesday night. I'm getting ready for Sunday, you know, because it was a larger uh, student ministry. I'm getting ready for Sunday. Well, what about Thursday afternoon? Well, I'm Friday. I'm with my family. I'm folk. I'm like, well, let me ask you something. <laughs> and this is where it got real for a second. Obviously, I wasn't paying him myself, but we did not bring you here to just study to preach. If you are hanging out in your office 90% of the time, you're not doing what you're called to do in this sure. church. And I started saying, I need you two days a week, at least, at minimum, two days a week, 
to be spending at least two hours in the school system. Find opportunities, get to lunch, do this, do it. And now it finally extended beyond that. And you know what happened? His capacity to influence students went up. They weren't so concerned about the quality of his Wednesday night teaching and his Sunday teaching. Although that's important, yes. That doesn't mean it's not important. But they were concerned about the quality of the connection and engagement. Well, we got lost folks in Georgia. What, seven, to seven million out of ten is estimated as being lost, and that number may even be higher than that? And we think Bangladesh is the only place where there's a mission field. You know, uh, I can walk down the streets of Atlanta and, and listen. 92% have no connection to a church inside the perimeter. 92%. We're talking never connect. And we're walking down the street, and all we're interested in is speaking to the 8% that come every third week. That's dangerous to the mission. That is not apostolic in nature as far as that little A, one who's moving missionally. And so we got to engage. And I, I told you I was going to hang out if I wasn't careful. So let's, let's move on. Missional engagement strategy. Then next, cast a clear and compelling vision. <laughs> we got to be able to speak this. Here, here's my vision, for example, of Atlanta Metro. It's not defined fully yet. We're work, I'm working on getting it the way that it can be communicated. But here's what I'm communicating now to give the seed thought. Every heartbeat in every neighborhood having a clear communication of the gospel. All right, how's that going to be lived out? By every neighborhood. You know, did you know the city of Atlanta alone has 242 distinct neighborhoods? We're not even talking about Shambly. We're not talking about Clarkston. We're not talking about uh, over in Decatur. We're not talking about down in East Point and all that. We're not talking even the full inside of the perimeter. 242 distinct neighborhoods organized into 25 neighborhood planning units. Unlock them through the neighborhood planning units. But here's the thing. I want every church to know where their people are, every established church we have already, to know where their people are, to be able to map them. And we're working on it. We're discussing that now as a part of the strategy. And in mapping them, then challenge them. Even if it's two or three churches that have person in the same neighborhood, get them together and start asking them the question, what is it going to take for you to take the responsibility for, for lack of a better word, gospelizing your neighborhood? This isn't rocket science. So what is our missional engagement strategy? To find where people live, empower them, resource them, develop them, train them in the context of our churches, connected to our churches, not disconnected from our churches. In other words, not me leading it, but our churches leading those efforts so that those people can learn how to engage their community. Guess what will happen? You've heard of Leadership Pipeline? That person that you see, that, and they're starting to get it done, and they're reaching into their neighborhood, all of a sudden you might ask them, have you ever considered starting a missional community? And we're still not funding them, in my mind, at this point a missional community where you gather people still under the leadership of your local church, still connected to your local church, but you're gathering people and you're training them, you're developing them, and you're leading them to Christ and you're discipling them. Then you find the person who's able to do that and you're like, okay, maybe that's where they stop. Well, still, we're creating more gospel relationships and gospel conversations, right? Well, if out of that you find someone who can duplicate and multiply those, then you might have your planter on your hands indigenously 
if I can say the word, raised up. This is not probably vastly different than what you guys continue yeah. to talk about. But when you raise them up, and you've not had to go way over here to go find someone to come harvest this field. We call it, we, we call it, we tap into, we tap into our harvest force. Mm -hmm. So we're raising folks up from within the harvest. Exactly. To do all the work. Because we, yeah. we, we try not to have, I mean, listen, we, we try not to have folks parachuting in mm -hmm. to environments. Mm -hmm. We want them to work in their own environment. Mm -hmm. Now we, we parachute in because we are the missionary and you have some of that going on, mm -hmm. but it's much of that local harvest force. And the cool thing in our environment is, yeah. and this is, I mean, this is the same thing here. Mm -hmm. You get a new believer and, you know, you, you said gospel conversation, evangelism. Mm -hmm. You train a new believer on how to share their faith. They don't know that they're not. They're not. They don't know that they're that's not supposed right. to. That's exactly. That's and where so, I was. And that's and that's where that's where our guys are. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, we're supposed to share faith. Okay. And mm -hmm. they just go out and do it. So yeah. you got seed sowing going all over. That's <laughs> where I was. I, I promise you, I didn't. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, I lived in Georgia. When I finally came to know Christ, I heard this thing that I need to be sharing Christ. Eventually, over a period of time. I was able to share with all my family. Both my parents eventually came to know Christ. I, God gave me the privilege to lead every living grandparent to Christ. Wow. And to see aunts and uncles come to know Christ. And and it just to see and then what happens, you get called to ministry and you do every, all the funerals and everything else that come up. It's time. And I would stand in front of my family and say, listen, the only way you're going to have hope in this moment, at the, at a few, and I'll just be honest because I was indigenous to the family. And I could be honest to my family because I was indigenous to them. They knew I loved them. And I could say, the only reason we're going to have hope in these moments is if we have Jesus as Master and Lord of our lives. And here's what He's done for you. And I would see people come to know Christ in my family as a result of that. Now, how do we train people? We develop people. It's caught. It's caught as we build this momentum of empowerment. And I know it sounds a little new agey to use the word empowerment, but clergy have stolen away the ministry. That's right. And, and when we've stolen it away, we've told everybody else, you're not capable. And they bought that. Miss Brown, lady in her late 60s, invited me to church. I would have not said yes to anybody else, most likely. I didn't know anybody else who claimed to be a believer. I was told all Christians were hypocrites, avoid. And so I did. I didn't even know the names of the churches in my community. And so Miss Brown invited me. She'd been so kind, so gracious, such a great neighbor. I couldn't say no to Miss Brown. So here's my challenge to all the senior adult ladies in Atlanta. Who's Miss Brown are you going to be? Who's Miss Brown are you going to be? And by the way, there's a Mr. Brown. Who's Mr. Brown are you going to be? And so how do we challenge them? Say, you live in that neighborhood for a reason. You might not have chosen that reason, but God's got you there. Now you belong to Him. Are you going to use that to be the witness on the block and in the neighborhood? And how are we now going to organize and bring those together, even if they're across multiple church lines? And so that's what I'm trying to envision. That's part of my vision. Every heartbeat, every neighborhood, having a clear, compelling communication of the gospel, trained and developed where there is a discipled influencer in every neighborhood. It's not me. It's not just a preacher. Out of that, we'll find our pastors, we'll find our planters, we'll find our student leaders and not have to go everywhere else and look well, for them. And the other side to that is, is being willing to, and this is where we are, mm -hmm. is handing off responsibility mm -hmm. quickly. 
Yeah, and that's scary. And, and not as scary, yeah. but handing it off because Otherwise, you get to that clergy mm -hmm. grasp thing going on. Oh, and, yeah. And you just, you know, continue to coach, continue to train. But we we don't, we, we in our context, mm -hmm. 160 million people in a, in, a, in a geographic location the size of the state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The size of the state of Georgia. It's not going to have the population of the, of the U.S. in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And... We, in my little neck of the woods that I was in responsible for was about 25 million, and and it's like you, you can't you can't hold on to that. You've got to you got to release right. as soon as possible. Well, you go. It's back, scary, but it's. <laughs> you look in the United States, back in the late 1700s. Just what we're describing: this multiplication effort where people were empowered. They <coughs> came all down this eastern seaboard. Mm -hmm. The people who were not pastors planted churches and developed churches. Now, we need we need endorsed church planters. Right. We do need that. I'm not trying to say well, that. I, and throw it out. Yeah, and I'm talking I'm not talking necessarily in that mind. I'm yeah. talking about a guy who's taken on his neighborhood mm -hmm. under the auspice of working with his church planter, pastor, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call him, who's who's kind of been he's mm -hmm. kind of doing it. Mm -hmm. And you don't we don't put a label on that. We just say you're doing it. Yeah. Let him do it, and down the road he gets the label. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. Because he did it. Exactly. That's a developmental pipeline. And so you just described the next to last competency. Let me get sorry. That. Or, or the third from last. Empower. No, that's good. Don't don't be sorry about hitting it. Empower key leaders to execute the vision. How do we find the key leaders? We develop them. So let me let me back up now to cast a clear and compelling vision, lead from a bold faith that takes prayerful risks. Risks are risk nonetheless, but they have to be prayerful risks. But to take a risk, we have to have bold faith. I was telling someone, what is his name, the guy that was, we were talking about it, that was playing quarterback last night for the Falcons? I hope he, I, well, no, he's, this is the third guy. Third, third Just guy. came from New England. They give him a contract somewhere. He, he's number one. Well, here's the thing. He, he was back there. They did say that he had just come in and didn't even know the system and all of that. But he was playing scared. I mean, he really was. So much so that he ran. He ran a lot and tried to pass about, what, four or five times. Didn't even pass in the first half. Yeah. And so what he did is, even when he would pass, it was like, like that. Now I know, folks, if you're listening on this, you didn't see what like that was. Go back and look at the game from August 22nd, 2019 <laughs> of the Falcons preseason. But anyway, he he would just pass like that. And and the the crazy thing is, the other team knew they could rattle him because of that. Well, you know, let's think about a planter. A planter has to, that's why sometimes a planter comes across as arrogant and we have to find a way to knock some of that down just a little bit <clears throat> so to be, be balanced and understand that we need to be kind and we need to be connected to others, especially established churches, to get to know them, to learn, because they've been there for a while for a reason. Maybe they're not what you're going to be, but at least they've been there. But bold faith, the guy playing last night didn't have bold faith. He was scared. And so planters have to be able to step out with bold faith, even when they're shaking in their shoes and have to take prayerful risks. Then I'm going to stop preaching. Evaluate your values 
and integrate them into the DNA of your church. And if you look at some of these, you'll see so many of these in, in these, but evaluate values and then integrate them into the DNA of your church. There's one statement that's like a formula, and I think it's helpful to integrate values in a church, is we take time. You know, we, we as pastors, we're pastor-like, right? Pastor types. About the time we get bored with something, even if it's communicating a value, we're ready to change it. Mm. Right? About the time. But what's happening at about that time, that's about the time people are hearing it. Mm-hmm. So take time. So it, we, we allow our values knowing that, knowing that it's going to take time to get it integrated in the church. So you take time, multiply that by repetition. It's going to take us repeating it in multiple venues, multiple strategies, multiple ways. Platform, when we do get a platform, writings, emails, conversations, leadership team meetings, taking whatever we, it is we're developing as values that ask the question, really, why? It helps us, or what? It helps us to determine what we don't do, values do. You know, what, what are our limits? What do we not do? We're not going to... We're not going to take money, for example, from this entity because they don't, they don't fit with us. Or we're not going to, you know what I'm saying, there are decisions we're not going to make because our values fit. If discipleship is important, then we're not going to abandon discipleship. It's repetition plus discipline. So time multiplied by repetition added to that discipline. We've got to be disciplined to model it. We've got to guide our teams to be disciplined to model it. Our key leaders, that takes discipleship and development with our leaders to have discipline to model it. When we do those things, that'll lead to, that'll equal integration. And so I think that's critical. If we don't get the DNA established through values in a church plant early, in those early even leadership team meetings and conversations, then what's going to happen is you've heard of vision hijackers. Mm -hmm. People are going to roll in with their own agenda, whether it's, whether it's, whether they're doing it from a godly motive or not. I'm not trying to say that everybody that does that doesn't have a godly motive, but they will reshape your direction. And if you're not, if we're not focused on values, if I'm not focused on values, then my, my direction will get reshaped. And all of our directions we need shaping, but hopefully not reshaped, right? Uh, now let's go to Here's, here's a key one that you would see. Effectively raise and manage money. <laughs> That's still organizational. I, I like to say more raise partners, but quite honestly, we've got to manage finance as well. That, that leans to character. But we've also got to, we've got to raise it. We've got to be able to give enough clear vision one of the things that a person that's a planter has to be able to do is when they have the, the audience of someone, what is the three minute or even 30 second conversation that you could have with someone that lays out your vision? I had a guy, we're, we're looking to sell our building because I'm like a marble in the middle of a big open football field in this building. It's, it's from a strategy of the past, all right, in this building that we have. And so we're looking to sell it. We had a guy come by before we were, and we're going to get a, a, an agent to list it now. We had a guy come by that showed some interest. Well, I stood there and talked to him. He sold the property that Top Golf and Alpharetta's on. 
he has a development business basically all over at least especially the northern tier of Atlanta so really our place wasn't the right location for him but he came and he looked and as we were talking I just gave him my 30 second statement I my heartbeat my goal my purpose my passion is for every heartbeat in every neighborhood of Atlanta to hear the gospel clearly and to have a discipled influencer in every one of those neighborhoods who will carry that gospel he goes, whoa. And all of a sudden, he's like, it's good that we have met. Well, that was my quick, I mean, that's shorter than even what I said to him, but that's generally, and so we talked about what are the intricacies of that, and what are, you know, what are some strategies related to that. And I saw this guy who is a businessman who does all these developmental things around North Atlanta get excited all of a sudden about what we're doing at Atlanta Metro and listen, are we doing it yet? <laughs> Nowhere near what we need to be. My prayer is that we'll be getting there soon, but I'm just laying out the vision. Every preaching opportunity I get, I'm laying out the vision. I'm laying out a directional, trying to do this thing to where I say, this, look, that's your responsibility. But we're going to do this together. Uh, so I've got to raise and manage money as well to be able to do that, right? Um, Here's the key one. We leave this out way too often. Be intentional about making disciples that make disciples. That closes the loop. If we simply make disciples to ourselves, we've, we've not completed it. We don't make disciples to ourselves. We make disciples to Jesus who carry the strategy of Jesus to make more disciples. That's why every person has the responsibility of every sphere of influence they have. And then uh, I'm going to give you the last two, three. Develop measurable systems and structures to fulfill your vision. <laughs> if a person can't put together systems and structure starting from scratch in the life of a church, it's just going to be a small group gathering all the time with no scalability at all. For example, Right now, you've got multiple systems going on physically. You've got a skeletal system without which you'd be laying in the floor because you know you're gone, right? With a muscular system that holds those skeleton, you know, those uh, bones in place, with all the sinews and everything else that are attached to those. You've got a cardiovascular system that, if you didn't have, you wouldn't be getting oxygenated blood from your pulmonary system. And without all of that, you wouldn't be able to pay attention because your what is it? Your brain. All right. Every part of our body is enveloped in a system. The largest of that is even this skin that we have. How valuable is that? Well, I'm glad I've got skin because otherwise everything would be falling out, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that would not be good. And so think about church, too. The church is made up of parts that are moving people, systems, organizational structure. So we need a guy who can help develop that, whether he can or not, as, as well by himself. And here's the thing, find people who he can pull alongside him who can. But he needs to be focused on that. And then communicate for kingdom impact. That's preaching. That's communicating one-on-one. -on -one. That's, that's the ability to communicate. And then last, create a culture of multiplication. Multiplying what? What do we want to multiply? 
the failure to follow us are Christ. The gospel, disciples, leaders, scaling up leaders, churches. Churches. And that brings me, that does bring me to even some of us in the room. That part of our strategy, part of our goal is to be a part of helping to multiply churches. Now, churches multiply churches. I, let's just, you know, you heard the old statement, churches plant churches. Now, I know in the context where there are none, you know, somebody's got to get it started. The Apostle Paul had to get it started. And there may be places where we have to get them started where there are none. Someone, someone asked me, and you might even have this in your mind, is there a need for any church plant in my community? Absolutely. Yeah, most where you are would say no. No. Painting two places right now. Yeah, well, but that's good that you're paint. You've seen that. You you have a vision for that. Now, your people might not immediately uh, agree to that. Just beginning. I've been saying yeah. it for three years. So. Yeah, so that, that's huge. I just I just talked to a guy that's an associational leader in another part of the state that I remember he asked me to come speak to his association, what, about four years ago. And he said, my folks aren't ready to do church planting yet. They're not ready to do church planting. He's so excited. He's about to have his first real, genuine, fully vested church plant, replant, really, but fully vested by the other churches. Wow. And he is just over the, over the moon excited. Well, that would never have happened if he didn't sow those seeds, develop those opportunities. And you know, my message in his association the first time was, it was this. Here is a need of the gospel being planted and churches being planted. We can say easily, oh, in the urban environment, there needs to be a church plant. But did you know that in a rural environment, there ought to be at least, at minimum, a strong gospel church influence for every thousand in, uh, in population? At least. Now, that doesn't mean that if you've got that, then you're good. But, yeah, we strengthen what remains, and we start new in strategic places where people need to be, and strategic affinity groups and everything else where people need to be reached. And so, all of a sudden, they were going, so here's all I'm asking you. I said to his association, I'm not asking you to go out right now and start one. That would be wonderful. I'm just asking you, and here's what happens quite often. If a guy comes into your area and says, I feel God calling me to plant a church, would you simply just put the welcome mat out to him? Just put the welcome mat out. Because here's what they will get most often in many environments. <laughs> we don't need no churches around here. Right? There's a church on every corner. Yeah, there's a church. What about, let's just strengthen some of those churches. Let's make them better and stronger and fill them up. Some churches aren't going to fill up just because... One, it may be the area, it may be the model of ministry, but also it may be reputation. But if we filled every church up, is that really practical? No, we know that's not practical. We're not going to fill every... And, that, and that's still the building-centric mentality. Uh, even if they're all filled, does that mean the gospel's really... Not, I know our guys are preaching, I know they're doing it, but does that really mean that they're fully developed and discipled? No, no, it doesn't. However, every community can at least have another church plan. If God is laid on someone's heart, would you just put the welcome mat out? And then we can talk about how to support and send. And, and so what's funny is now, four, about four years later, they're putting the welcome mat out. 
Not only have they put the welcome mat out, now they're saying, we believe this is important, this is of God. So what I want to change gears to, and I'm doing this kind of quickly, but what are the benefits for a sending or supporting church? Let's brainstorm some of those. What are some of the benefits for a sending or supporting church in your, in your area of doing that? Let's say somebody comes into your community and says, I feel like God's called me to plant a church. They work together. They get assessed. You know, even if it's, you know, if it's going to that endorsed church plant model, and they're ready to plant, and they've gotten there, and the ch- a church has stepped in and said, we will be the one who stands with him and who encourages him and sends him, and we're going to bring a, other you know, aunts and uncles, so to speak, of churches in support him, and, and we're going to be standing with him, and he's not going to have to do this by himself. We'll, help, we'll send them gift cards, help them you know, go on a date night every once in a while, take care of their marriage, all these things. What's the benefit for a sending or supporting church? Give me some ideas. Renewed vision. Wow, yeah. Renewed vision. Do we need that? Regularly. All right. Why would it renew vision, would you say? Give me some thoughts on that. New works always do. I mean, new Sunday school classes have renewed vision. Yeah, and and that is one of the angles I've used with pastors, established church pastors a lot of times. So what pastor would not say to his people, we need to start a new Bible study class or a new group. That's really what a church is. It's a new church, but it's the same principle of units that are added create more opportunities to influence. And the same thing for churches. Churches that are added create greater opportunities for multiplied influence in a community. Because people in my church that could be reached Another church may not be able to reach that segment, but then another segment that people can reach in another church that I can't. Now we're partners, right? We're we're kingdom. So renewed vision. What else? I think you just touched on the kingdom focus. Kingdom. I need to quit preaching, don't I? Kingdom. That was good. That was a great reminder of kingdom focus rather than Hmm. individually focused. Yeah. If there's anything our churches need, is that. Yeah. What does that do for us? Puts our attention outside yeah, it, of us. Yeah, it, it gets it gets things it, it gets them to see that things are bigger. So our in our context, um, most of our churches would be about the size of most Sunday school classes, and mm-hmm. where we are, with villages and various places that they are. Right. But what's cool is is when some of those leaders get to come together. And they get to realize that they are a part of something bigger. Mm, that's good. Part of something large. Part of something bigger. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a big deal. And then they wind up celebrating together. They, you know. Well, how many churches need something to celebrate? Do you have any churches that need something to celebrate? All of them. Yeah, we all do, right? You know. There are things, how do we communicate, how do we celebrate, how do we now calibrate? I mean, we could do a whole whole evaluative thing off of that. How do we recalibrate ourselves? How do we, you know, so celebration, we leave that out so often. We don't celebrate the wins and take time to do that. Any others? A couple of others I would just say real quick is joy. I think it brings joy. 
I think, because if you see all of a sudden and you hear about new people coming to know Christ, and you're able to have that communicated because that's important, that close relationship. I really enjoy it. I don't know how to describe this no more than to say this. There's almost like a grandparent effect. Exactly. Yeah. In your context, I would definitely highlight that. Yeah, because they can understand. People can understand. Well, they have ownership. Yeah. Of something that's. Yeah, because you've got a parent. That's really what multiplication becomes. You know, if you're a parent and you see this church plant, well, think about all of a sudden now there may be churches come planting out of that. But also, you see someone come to know Christ, and that person leads someone else to Christ. That becomes a grandparent. And that, so really, a parent slash grandparent to these church church plants and and renewed energy. Uh, there's so many benefits that we could list that uh, really I think it can also challenge the church mm-hmm. as well internally to evaluate to evaluate uh, this is counterintuitive right sending people out to start a new church is counterintuitive why is it counterintuitive because you're giving up thinking you're losing but many times in losing the energy that comes back in celebration and joy and all these things we're describing, you're actually gaining. And then people really get more excited about connecting with something like that. They do. I've got a church right now in our association. They're trying to decide, are we going to be a gathering of large groups of people? Or are we going to just go ahead and make the decision now that we might grow to 150, 200, and we're going to be sending? We're just going to be multiplying, sending churches out. And they're in the middle of that decision right now in a very practical way. And the pastor is really trying to encourage the church to be the sending and continue to bring, reach people, send them out. Reach people and send them out. I, I read something recently that really challenged me and something I'm trying to challenge our pastors with is in recent years we have dropped a form in our public invitations that we kind of let just slide away. Hmm. And it's the call to people of vocational ministry. Hmm. Uh, you know, once you think about your ministries you've been in, when's the last time hmm. you've heard a pastor give an invitation calling people into vocational ministry? Exactly. Used to do it. That's hmm. the reason there's such a shortage of pastors. Hmm. And we're going to, I mean, now, I don't know if you're having this problem, but staff folks, youth yes. ministers, his own church. And not find a youth minister. Yeah. It's been hard. Yeah. And here's the thing. That's why I'm so excited about They are seated in their seats, involved in our ministry, or still in our community yet to be reached. That's right. Or even yet to be born. If we captured that, that that little kid that drives us stinking nuts. I remember saying this to a mom one time. Her, she was so upset that her son was just, he was man, this kid hit somebody and he was just giving us fits. And I looked at him, be careful, God might call him in the ministry. God calls him bad little boys in the ministry. <laughs> you know, he does. He, he has this way of changing the heart, changing the life, and then transforming them and then calling them and setting them, setting them on a course. So what if we captured that vision just like you described and said, you know what? It's our responsibility. When you started this, I thought you were going to talk about more of the, and I don't like it, the APEST model of Ephesians 4, oh, yeah. where we have apostolic type leaders, we have pastoral, evangelist, 
we have uh, shepherding, and we have teaching. Well, the, the traditional church, the established church in the U.S., primarily focused on shepherd teaching. Yeah. And we've left out the evangelism. That's why our numbers are down. We've gotten accustomed to shepherd teaching. We've left out evangelism. Uh, pastor, yeah, there, there, uh, there may be, I mean, some of that. Or prophet, was it yeah, prophet? prophet yeah. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Prophet. That person who does speak truth in a transformative way. We're not talking about being mean-spirited. And, but then the apostolic saying, let's be well, willing to, to and, move forward in ways that... And some conversations that I've been in, with, with even guys here in the States, and some reading that I've done, is, I, I read this one guy, his dissertation was on the role of the apostle in missions, mm -hmm. um, little a, mm -hmm. and how we have forgotten it, and that it's just not talked about anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's not recognized, and so you get these guys in churches that that may have that gifting, and they're kind of all over the place, and people don't, and the pastor doesn't know what to do with him because he can't control him, mm -hmm. he can't hone him in, but if or or, or or he doesn't know how to coach him. Let me say right, this: right. if you were to know how to coach him and to help let him be the tip of mm -hmm. the spear, as God has called that gifting right. to be, mm -hmm. oh my. Goodness, what could yeah. happen? I had a staff member one time that I, I'm telling you, uh, I wasn't sure he would survive, but it was that kind of thing where you just have to have to have the honest conversation, spend the, the hours with them, help guide them, help them see a, a different future. And that guy now, I would love, I would with great zeal encourage anybody to ever look for him if they're looking for a person in any staff role as far as leadership kind of staff role. Because he developed. It wasn't because of me, it's because he got focused. And he began to see, you know what, this is important to me to be able to do this. It's important to the kingdom of God for me to limit myself. And I'll tell another staff member, I would much rather, and I'll stop, I think you got something to say. Yeah, I would much rather have a staff member or a, or a person on my team that I have to keep kind of pulling back in oh, just a little yeah. bit than one I'm trying to push out to go do something. Oh, yeah. Just do something. You know, and, and we can forgive a lot quicker and a lot better as far as if they're trying to pursue, you know, a vision than get somebody started. So, all right, let's close with this. We could spend this struggle with an hour and 15 minutes. Is I, I bite off more than it's really biteable in a lot of ways. But the core vision is this. Every person finding their place. And when every person finds their place, and we see these people who express a clear sense of calling and follow those competencies, and we see the potential in them. I'm thankful somebody saw the potential in me. And I'm thankful they helped develop that. They, had, they took that raw thing, giftedness of God, and they willingly developed it and then gave me opportunity. There's a difference in just developing. We can overdevelop someone, and it's like an overdeveloped picture. It's not a pretty picture. We can develop, 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 but if we don't give opportunity to express what they've developed, all we're doing is really creating greater damage. But anyway, that's a whole other story. If you, and I know none of, probably none of us in here, I don't know what God will do. God could be calling you to plant a church in Georgia. I don't know, but God, being God might be saying, round two. <laughs> you know. If you, if you sense that and you wanted to partner with Georgia Baptist, let me just give you the key uh, statement about that. Lana Melton, 
I'm gonna write her email up here. L Melton at gabaptist.org. We'll be able to get you the information on how to get started, at least in Georgia Baptist. Because what you'll want to do is she'll tell you that's L Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N, at gabaptist.org. Um, she will send you a document. There's a document that has several steps. One of those is to go to NAM, that's N-A-M-B.net, and there's a place to put in if you're interested in planting a church. This is all confidential, okay? I'll give you my card on the way out. Ben is available to you. Ben's on staff there, but I'll be glad to connect you up with them. Uh, if there is, if you know someone that has interest, if you've got a planter, you know, these guys will be willing to help walk through that with them. Uh, but Lana will be able to give what are the first steps. So let's go to go to NAM, register. That's where the assessment tools are that are online. Then there will be a one-on-one -on -one assessment with that person. And sometimes people self-remove. They get in those online assessment tools and they go, you know, that's really not me. And they pull back and they find what God wants outside of that. I, I have that happen. Our organization does that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, self, they make it hard. Yeah, they self-remove. If, if assessment is too hard, don't plan a church. I can't tell you how many times folks tell me, that's just too much. If that's too much, don't plan a church. You know, because first of all, if you can't be accountable through assessment, accountable through training, and those kinds of things, look, take it and then evaluate it and then plant the church. God's called you to plant. No one's telling someone exactly how to plant their own church. But it's helping to give them the tools to be able to do that. But Lana can get you started with that. And the first step she would tell you is now. And then there's an orientation at Georgia Baptist that will walk through the steps there too. So I don't want to do that all over again. You know, that orientation is all available. Ben can get you in touch with all that. But any questions? Because we're five minutes away from being done. I feel like I kind of ran through this one tonight a little bit. That's really good. This is a fair conversation. But I do appreciate all of your input. I mean, this is this this is not slow us down. It helped build a foundation for us. So, any questions? Any thoughts? Any? Here was my goal tonight, and my goal was to give a little bit of a glimpse as to who are we looking for. Not perfection, but person who can develop to that. Okay, so don't say that it has to have all of these right now. Because if you saw an assessment report that I sent in, it was a guy that I was a part of assessing, it is these are limiting factors, these are things that, need, that I sense need to be developed in this person. Well, if somebody walks around alongside that person, wouldn't it be a whole lot better to help develop those in that person than to just say, eh, go plan. Good luck. <laughs> and, and then I wanted us to think about is there really a benefit to a sending supporting church? Because we think, eh, they're two totally separate things. Revitalization can come out of planting. What, uh, what is a, what is the normal timeline through George Baptist for, is it, it for hoping for self-sustaining? Self, uh, uh, is, it, is it four to five years? Uh, well, it really is different. Georgia Baptist, and this is an area that I think we have to look at, but it's not my, my responsibility to press that. But we need to look at 
how do we help churches get to self-sustainability? And I think self-sustainability, here's what I recommend to planters. And I've got a thing here that I can share with you that we do in our training as well. But uh, if I can get to it here in a second. First year, I think a planter ought to consider 75% of their budget and functional budget. This is not startup cost, first year should be coming from the outside and about 25% from within. You're starting to teach your people to give. Second year, yeah, these are rules of thumb, about 50-50. You want to grow. You're not, you're not limiting and lowering your outside support, but you ought to be really building your inside development of growth and stewardship to where now they're giving 50% of your total, so your budget has gone up. And then the third year, you, they really ought to be close to, if they're going to be sustainable within four years, which is less likely in an urban environment and, and, and more likely in a more rural environment. Okay, It's possible, still may have some challenges. That's where other support's important. But 25% coming from the outside, still I challenge people to, to raise three years of support, keep it as sustainable, add new partners, because partners are gonna drop off. Always keep that in mind. One guy said, I'm not a, I'm not a fundraiser. You better learn how to be one because you're going to have to always get people to believe in your vision enough to invest in it, whether it's their time and their money. And you're really teaching people to invest in it as a part of it. And so you, I'd say 25% from outside, but the same funds, but you should have been, they should have been growing the internal component of giving at seven, just more like 75% with the goal. And tell the people up front. Now, realistically, I think that goes from launch through the problem is, often, we count starting a group as our launch. And before you know it, two years of support, because Georgia Baptist does two years of support, two, three, or four years of support, same amount of money, unless that changes. And it is possible to change with some startup funds uh, after assessment for the two years of support. And most guys choose the two years because it's the larger sum of money over a monthly period of time in that window as opposed to stretching it out three or four years. Does that make sense or I just confuse it completely? Mm -hmm. Okay, it's the same pile same amount of, money. of money, but you can, it's, it's two, three, or four years has been the consistent opportunity. Mm -hmm. Most have chosen two years. Well, the problem is conversation quite often is had about 19 months in. I don't believe I can do it without that money happens so often. I think we've not done a better job, I, it, it's, and, and I'm putting this on me too, of, of training people to continue to raise partners and to continue to evaluate sustainability. The goal is to get to sustainability. Four years, really in a more rural environment, more rural, even suburban should be able to start getting there, at least close to it with outside partners some, sometimes along the way. And because after four years, people are less likely to be willing to give to your church plan sacrificially from outside. It's just a common, you know what I'm saying? Because people get this mindset, well, you ought to be up rolling by now. <laughs> so then it's a communication factor. So that's why I raise as much as is possible. And I challenge folks, raise startup funds separate from normal support funds. Because it takes a lot more energy to get a plane in the air than it does to sustain flight. Mm -hmm. so I, I, I'm talking too fast, really. I, 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 I know it's good. 
Yeah, so that's like, that's like any business or anything, really. And I think that's where an association can really have some great value mm -hmm. in helping a guy at that ground level and, and being a part of it, even if it's $100, $200 a month, just say, hey, we believe in you. Boy, that $100, $200 a month goes a long way financially. Prayer cards, all those things go a long way to just encourage a planter. So, any other thoughts or questions? I know our time is up, but my time's not up. I'm glad to stay as long as you want me to, as long as they don't close the building on me. Yeah, this is good. Thank y'all for being here. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you, man.